First on film and entertainment, we have with us Jackie Hamilton, only for a few minutes. There are other commitments in her life that are far more important than us. Jackie, we understand, but nice to have you with us. Good morning. Oh, that's it? No no dissertation? <laughs> I, I wanted a little bit of, you know, padding from you at this point. Anyway. Good morning and lovely to be with you here. Thank you. Oh, that's much, much yes. better. And Peter Krause, I wasn't referring to you as padding because you never are. Your valuable <laughs> contribution, even though it's argumentative, it is never correct. I still accept that. Isn't that good of me? That is so nice of you, even though you're wrong most of the time. <laughs> yeah, a deep-seated <laughs> sense of understanding comes with our fraught relationship. There we go. What what could be better than that, folks? Having said that, we want to start with a movie that I, I found deeply affecting. Now, I have spoken with Jackie off camera, no, off microphone about this. And uh, once again, I've got two recalcitrant individuals because I think her take on it is going to be decidedly different from mine. I suspect Peter will favour my view. But there we go. Let's find out. We're talking about what month are we in? May. Let's skip forward to what about six months? November. That's the name of the movie. It's M rated. It's 107 minutes. And actually, it's a very, very serious topic. Let's go back in, in history. Uh, we're going back around about uh, seven and a half, eight years. And in fact, 13th of November 2015. And unfortunately, this was seared into my mind. And I dare say the two people I'm speaking with will recollect it. Similarly, there were a series of coordinated terrorist attacks that took place in Paris and also the city's northern suburb, St. Denis, on that particular date. 130 people were killed. There were 416 that were injured. Peter, you remember this, I, I, I presume, from, from the news? Absolutely. It was covered quite extensively. And Jackie, you likewise? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it was one of those periods because... France was already on high alert. A couple of gunmen who'd attacked the headquarters of the satirical newspaper Charlie Hebdo on the 7th of January that year. So in other words, we're talking about the start of the year. This movie concentrates on the end of that year. I, I remember it well insofar as I was there soon after the Charlie Hebdo. I was there with my wife soon after the Charlie Hebdo incident. And that, that 12 people died in that one and 11 were wounded and the city was uh, on high alert. I remember it. Anyway, November, this movie is the tension filled story of the five days that followed the 13th of November attacks and, and the anti-terrorist police's attempt to track down those involved. And I mean, it's not hard to believe it, it's, it is real. Nerves were frayed. I mean, no question about it. Time was of the essence because those questioned made it clear to the authorities that this was only the start of a bloody campaign by ISIS. And the film focuses on the lead investigators of the French anti-terrorism services. What is interesting is that all the terrorists that are named are actually the names of the terrorists, but the character names outside those are fictitious. So, Peter, what they've done is they've created characters or amalgams of characters, correct? That's absolutely right, for various reasons, including legal reasons, yes. Yeah, and so among these characters, I'll go through some of them, there's Heloise, played by Sandrine Kibberlane, under pressure from the minister's office, and then her chief commander, Fred Jean de Jardin, who is intense and driven. Now, 
Also, same could be said about the captain, Ines Moray, played by Annis de Mostier. She steps outside the rules of protocol and has a lot of making up to do. And then, then there's another figure of note in this one, a civilian informant called Samaya, played by Lena Kudri. She risks her life for the greater good, but that comes at considerable cost. Now, the film has been written or co-written with Olivier de Mangle and is directed by Cedric Jimenez. And it's an insight into the desperation, the determination, the dedication that surrounded the days following the attacks. That is basically what the essence of it is. And the angst, the tension are palpable throughout the performances uh, and the cinematography, I thought, were very, very strong. There are so many leads to chase up. And unless somebody comes out and immediately declares it's them, and even if they do, it's a question of tracking down who they are, the people involved. So many of these leads, of course, turn out to be red herrings. Of course, the more time that elapses, the more the weight of expectation builds and the frustration, the toll that it takes on people on the ground is, is quite evident. So it's a large jigsaw puzzle with global tentacles. So that's what November is all about. Jackie, let's start with you. I found it really strong and compelling. You didn't? Um, I found it a bit police procedural, Alex. Right. I wanted a bit, bit of a more rounded story with less of the frantic action chase scenes. We weren't given a chance to really get to know who was who except for uh, perhaps a very small handful of characters, maybe two or three we really got to know out of a very large cast. And so we didn't really get to see the impact on them and uh, and their lives. So I found it very much a police drama with with a, a heck of a lot of shooting and a heck of a lot of running and chasing. Yeah, but but hang on, the, the few that that's not different to a lot of movies where the concentration is on some key characters, and then there there's those Ex peripheral. Except that this except that this is based on, I mean, a real or more than based on it's it's almost a docudrama in in yeah. some ways uh, uh, on actual events i accept that but you i mean this is the challenge that any form of art has what you're going to concentrate on 12 characters you, you there just isn't the time so they, they've sort of taken from that the the well the four that i think i've mentioned are probably the the, the pivotal characters I actually was not troubled by that at all because there were there was some weight given to the sub characters and I, I thought that worked kind of nicely. Were you did you find it too complicated? Oh, I didn't know what was going on for a good part of it, and I I think that was kind of deliberate. I think that kind of gave the atmosphere of the confusion that they may have you know the country was facing at the time. Although the um, police certainly were shouldn't have been too confused in what they were following up. But, uh, yes, no, uh, very confusing. But that was also to do with the character development because you didn't know who was doing what and what operative they belonged to and, and you know, what their position was. And there were a couple of very odd things that came about if, if this was an amalgam of the way that they went about the, um, about the chase. The, um, there was the one police uh, detective who made a major error early on in the piece and yet was immediately placed back on... Uh, without any apparent, um, you know, reprimand to continue leading or certainly being oh, in charge. Hang on, hang on. Part of the 
Wait a second. I, I, that's the figure that I mentioned made a mistake. This is a woman, and mm. she was dressed down and basically said she's on her her, her last chance. That that was actually part. Oh, well, of she was film. told off and put straight back into the into the work. But I, what I did like about the film was the was that by about two thirds of the way through, the suspense by then you could tell was really quite. Um, you know, had built up. It had built up to a state of suspense, and that was worthwhile towards the end to get to that because it certainly was um, um, a, a um, dramatic finale, if you like. Well, look, I felt quite wrung out by the end of the movie, and I reckon that's exactly what the filmmakers were seeking, Peter. Uh, I absolutely agree. Look, uh, yes, it is a police procedural, but it's a very important one. And uh, the French are so good at making these types of films. I mean, we've seen Night of the Twelfth uh, as another example. But uh, the the whole issue of those terrorist attacks in 2015 have been uh, observed in a few other French films of late. And this is an important way to expiate, I suppose, that awful experience. I think this was a very well-handled film. Uh, I think uh, the dislocation and the difficulties in the investigation, um, the finding of suspects or attempts to uh, to get uh, behind the scenes to uh, to get contacts and uh, and whistleblowers and all that sort of thing. I think that was very effectively handled, and uh, uh, Jean Dujardin did a, a great job as uh, uh, the main investigator there. And Jeremy Renier uh, and Sandra Kibberlain. It's a very good cast. What I really liked about this film is the the process that had to be used to be able to find these terrorists, and it's not an easy one. And so the 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 way the filmmakers handled that, I think, was very effective. I, I think the um, the uh, correlation with uh, what was happening overseas. There was some uh, a sequence there where we understand that. Um, this was a, a rallying call with ISIS and mm -hmm. so on um, to uh, to uh, wreak vengeance, uh, if you like. Um, but also, uh, I think there is a, a lot more going on, which uh, I was actually quite impressed by. I must say one other thing. The uh, women who were involved in perhaps being whistleblowers, um, there was some issue about uh, one of them wearing a hajib. Uh, hijab, hijab. Yeah. Uh, yes, and and it seems from what I read that uh, that was incorrectly depicted, um, and so the the filmmakers were sued about that. So really, I think, and do, yes. we, do we know what do we know what happened? The outcome? Yes, yes. The uh, the uh, the woman won her case that uh, she she was uh, given um, uh, a, a money uh, to uh, make good or compensation, if you like, for the incorrect depiction of her character. Really? That's fascinating. Well, I, I thought, look, I thought it was a pivotal role. We're talking about Lena Kudry, who plays this sort of good Samaritan who you can't help but but empathise with. And to me, I thought Jean Desjardins, who's a very fine actor, quite authoritative and, and compelling as the commander, who sort of demands, well, he doesn't sort, sort of, he does demand total commitment. And I thought Anne de Mustier, who worked on gut instinct and, and felt deeply, that was a a well, I thought it was a well-developed character because you got an insight into the fact that she really cares, but, you know, she she oversteps the mark. And, and also th there's really a fine attention to detail that the cinematographer Nicholas Law captures. I, I thought the cinematography was a feature of this and the production failures actually are very strong throughout. But given the nature of the plot, and, and this is where I said, you know, 
asked Jackie earlier, you know, how, how confused she was, you really need to concentrate to follow all the threads because there are lots of them, right? I, and and that that's, I, I thought this was a perfect depiction of, you imagine an incident and you don't know where to start and you're going after lead, after lead, after lead. I mean, most most police incidents, not most, but many that have complexity to them would be exactly like this. And I, I felt I was involved from the get-go and I was involved till the very end. So it's interesting. I had a different take on it, Jackie. So yeah, as I say, I, I mean, I thought this was a very fine movie and uh, it's one that is well worth seeing, but you've got to go in there with the right mindset, Peter. Wouldn't you agree with that? I suppose so to some extent. And uh, certainly a, a film about a terrorist act is not an easy film to watch. No, but Jackie, you would have seen other movies about terrorists. Oh, look, that, Alex, that, I, was, I was going to say, I don't mind concentrating heavily no. on a movie. I don't feel the threads were actually there, even though we were in the dark room feeling round for them. Uh, it was all a trick and there weren't any threads that were given to us to follow on this. And I know this film has been compared with Zero Dark Thirty. Yep. And I I can see a lot, so many similarities between what, uh, you know, the way that it was set up and that, what they're trying to achieve and even in the outcome. And um, to me, just if you compare the two, Zero Dark Thirty is just, you know, head and shoulders above uh, what we received in the film November. November. So, look, it is M-rated. It runs for 107 minutes. What are you going to give November out of 10? Six out of 10. Mm, okay, Peter, I'm sure you'll be much higher. Go for it. Yes, I was quite impressed by the film, and uh, I'm not quite sure of the comparisons with Zero Dark Thirty, but that doesn't matter. Uh, I give it eight out of 10. And I give it an eight out of 10 as well. Jackie, we, we've appreciated your insight and uh, we, we will allow you to, de to depart and uh, attend to your other matters for the day. And Peter and I will try and hold down the fort without you, which is going to be difficult. But uh, Enjoy yourselves and I shall speak with you next week. Fantastic. Thanks, Jackie. So, Peter, let's move on J-Air. By the way, I, I should mention great programming 24-7. So, yeah, I, we do expect you to sleep a little bit. But other than that, tune in to Jair 88FM. And look, we'd love to get your money. Now, I don't mean that in a nasty way, but we need subscribers. We are a radio station that is very much community-based and we rely upon support to keep us uh, keep the, the wheels turning and um, the, the people on the, uh, what, what is it, the uh, the treadmill to keep uh, keep running. It, all it takes is to go to j-air.com.au and you follow the various uh, leads and you can subscribe for $54 a year. 54 bucks a year gets you a subscription and you become a member of a J-Air and the J-Air family. So what could be easier than that? Peter, let, let's turn to another movie. Now, there's we'll talk about the next two are very much in the sort of romance stakes and one is uh, a younger version and one's an older version. I, I want to talk about book club, the next chapter first, because it, it it gets to the essence of something that really concerns me, which I'd like to discuss with you. It's 108 minutes. It's rated M, book club, the next chapter. And it is a feel-good sequel to the 2018 movie simply called Book Club. And it concerns the ongoing fate of the four women at the centre of the original as they undertake a special girls' trip. So you've got Vivian, played by Jane Fonda, perpetually single, just been asked for her hand in marriage 
by her long-term suave boyfriend, Arthur, played by Don Johnson. But before the nuptials, Carol, Mary Steenbergen, puts it to the others, the other three girlfriends, that they should make good on a promise they made, I think it was decades earlier, to travel to Italy. Mind you, Carol is worried about her husband, Bruce Craig T. Nelson, who has just had bypass surgery. Former judge Sharon Candace Bergen is not too keen on taking the trip because she has an ageing cat to care for. But soon enough, that becomes a non-issue. And for Diane, played by Diane Keaton, who is in a loving relationship with Mitchell, Andy Garcia, she still has not disposed of her dead husband's ashes. Then they take this bachelorette holiday, right? Bachelorette because Vivian's getting married. And they have a series of adventures and misadventures. So they encounter an Italian policeman, a smooth-talking retired professor, and a chef who happens to have been Carol's old flame. So like the first chapter, Book Club 2, shall I call it, the next chapter, is written by Bill Holderman and Erin Sims, and Bill Holderman directs. So that just replicates what happened five years ago. It starts out with promise. Uh, there are some interactions between the women while they're on, they're on Zoom during COVID lockdown, as all of us were. Zoom teams, call it what you will. But um, I, I thought some of those were genuinely laugh aloud funny. And I thought, oh, go, golly, this is sort of heading in the right direction. And then very quickly, the picture hits a roadblock. They waste a lot of time getting, th th this is, these are the women amongst themselves, getting to agree to the holiday that we've talked about, right? which was always going to happen from the moment it was mentioned. So just get to it. You don't need that preamble. That was just sort of wasted space as far as I'm concerned. Thereafter, for much of the remaining film, virtually everything was signposted. So, I mean, I'm not going to, going to go through all of it, Peter, but stolen luggage, tick. Romantic encounters, tick. Stunning landscapes and you know, landmarks. And, yeah, they really are stunning, no question about it, but tick. And, and so on it goes. So the whole thing is manufactured and predictable. Where are the unexpected plot twists, the genuine surprises? Sure, the narrative comes from, well, what I'll call the, the, the never-ending bank of sanguine material, but it does seem to me, and this is the point that I was making at the outset, it's such a waste of top-notch talent. These are some of the finest actors of a generation, and they often deliver is a, well, a succession of corny and at times sexually charged one-liners. It, it almost appears to me as if, aside from a cadre of British actors, and we can name them, women get to 60, 70 and beyond and the industry all but abandons them. Now, they're left to deal with scripts that are going to be more at home in a B-grade telly movie. Why? I mean, surely there's an audience for intelligent, engaging, entertaining thought-provoking cinema involving our third generation of females. And and no, that does not rule out comedy or romance. I, I get that this is firmly in chick flick territory, and I've I, I got to say that I often warm to that. But the problem is when humour falls flat, as it often does, what results is little more than cringeworthy. And there are certainly those moments, unfortunately, in Book Club, the next chapter. Look, I've got to say... And to be fair, I feared that before seeing this film. So I suppose you could say I wasn't disappointed. 
it is a very nice looking film with very little substance. Uh, some people are going to appreciate it, but yeah, are, are we not better than this? I mean, there there's another one, what, 80 for Brady or whatever out at the moment as well. So yeah, yeah Peter, I, I'm curious as to whether you agree with me or not. I do tend to agree with you, but but this film, uh, like 80 for Brady and, and a number of other films that feature a group of women who go on a journey of self-discovery, go on uh, exotic trips or whatever to find out more about themselves or their romances or whatever, is a, a fairly strong subgenre staple in filmmaking. Yes. And there and there is a ready-made built-in audience for this type of film. Look, I, I have to say in this one, they seem to have jettisoned the whole idea of the book club in the first place, apart from a few very quick references to books, but it's really dismissive. Yeah, and it's, you know, there is one one reference that keeps on coming back, and I've gone blank on the name of the uh, the book. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it's almost like almost an, it's an excuse, isn't it? They, that that's why they got together in the first place. They they could have just called it the next chapter without the word book club. Yeah, yeah. Was it the Alchemist? I think. Yes, the, uh, the Alchemist. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah, mm. but I thought that was that was somewhat uh, contrived in terms of life oh, journey, yeah. but. But nevertheless, look, uh, yes, the, the circumstances that the women find themselves and they're very middle class and very well off so they can handle uh, losing their luggage and all that with, uh, with, without any issues. I found it uh, fairly superficial and, uh, and really as vehicles for all of them to be given some amusing lines here and there. Um, but really, in terms of character development, it is fairly lacklustre. Um, yeah, and uh, that's the point that I'm making. It doesn't need to be. If it, if we had a better script, you can't. It doesn't matter what age a person is. I get to the essence of a good movie. It's got to be well written. And I, I, why do we constantly get the predictable? That that's that's not that's not. It, it lacks originality. It lacks some spark. Yeah, I agree. But uh, why don't we get more originality? It's called box office and it's called um, studios wanting to make money. And this type of film is a very safe option, knowing that uh, the actresses, who are all terrific, uh, will appeal to a large group of people and uh, and they'll want to go and see them uh, in the cinema, as happened with 80 for Brady and uh, other similar films. I think also mixing in this travelogue sort of issue, uh, going to exotic places like uh, Venice and uh, and Rome and, uh, and Tuscany and so on, it is such a familiar trope under the Tuscan Sun and so many other films that have dealt with uh, this sort of area. It, it's just what's called a comfortable journey of uh, self-discovery without any major revelations or any real um, uh, I'd love to depth, know how much this depth. was paid for, Peter. I don't know what this would have cost to make because, I mean, okay, even if we're not talking about top dollar for these actors anymore, uh, it, would, it wouldn't have come cheap given... You know, we've talked about the talent. It, 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 like, there's six very, very well-known names in this. So, you know, it, it, obviously the, the studio said, well, let's stick. If it wasn't these people, would this have been out in the cinemas? If it was no names? No. I don't believe it would have. No, well, not not in the same sort of format, because uh, if you're dealing with a, a more existential drama sort of situation, it would be a quite a different script. No, no, but even, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just talking about exactly this script with no names this would have been a straight to tv release it wouldn't it wouldn't have made the cinemas 
Possibly, but if we look at uh, Spanish, uh, German, Italian films that uh, all have similar sort of tropes uh, in, in the films that they make and, uh, uh, and don't necessarily have well-known actors, audiences still want to see it. And, and you, you have to say that there is a, a large female audience out there that want to see this type of film, especially with names, uh, good actors and uh, well-named mm. actors. So, look, there is an audience for it. But uh, if you're looking for something a bit uh, with a bit more depth, then uh, obviously this is not the film for you. It, it was also interesting to see the depiction of some of the Italians, uh, including Giancarlo Giannini. <laughs> interesting to see him who's been around for so long in cinema, uh, doing a sort of a throwaway comedic police uh, yeah. officer role, which I thought uh, was a little bit demeaning, I thought. I don't know. And and oh, how easy was it for them to get a police helicopter? To oh, be able yeah. to... well, that, that was a very good point. I mean, uh, basically, you snap your fingers. He's, he's the bloke in charge. Oh, yeah, I'll bend the rules. I'll do exactly what you want. I'll, I'll roll over and play dead. Yeah, I, I mean, this is what I'm saying. This is pure fantasy. That, that's what it is. Now, okay, I get that people like to escape, and this is escapist. Uh, it, it, it's escapist with a capital E, no question. So, okay, what are you going to give it out of 10? Book Club, the next chapter, M rated 108 minutes. Okay, and I must also endorse what you said at the start where they did the lockdown Zoom sort of stuff. Uh, I thought that was going to turn into something quite um, mm. funny funny and clever but uh, yeah unfortunately it didn't go there look because of the um, the actors in it and uh, the way it was filmed even if the script was a bit uh, so so I barely give it a pass so I'll give it five out of ten yeah and I'm giving it five and a half so good golly we're in furious agreement today so far <laughs> that is rather scary yes it is. Uh, you, you're listening to Jay Air, and at the moment you're listening to Peter Krause and Alex first. So we should uh, move to a younger generation with some similar proclivities, and we're talking love again. All right, Emma rated again, and it's 104 minutes. So you've got a children's book author by the name of Mira Ray, played by a very beautiful and talented actor who is noted on the world stage. Her name is Priyanka Chopra Jonas. And Mira Ray, whom she plays, is deeply in love with John, played by Arinz Kenny. And he is unfortunately tragically killed in broad daylight by a drunk driver. And understandably, she goes into a deep funk. She seeks solitude by moving in with her folks. A couple of years on, after umpteen overtures, her sister Susie, played by Sophia Barclay, manages to convince Mira to head back to the city so the pair can live together. I'm not sure they were living together before. I, I'm not sure that was really established, Peter. But anyway, John's untimely death continues to haunt Mira as she has an awkward dating encounter with Joel. Now, what's fun about that is that Joel is played by Nick Jonas, who is... Priyanka Chopra Jonas's real life husband. And uh, there's a particular, I won't destroy it for anybody, but there's a scene where he goes over the top and uh, that's the end of it all. So that was nice. That was a nice little touch. Anyway, 35 year old Rob Burns, played by Sam Hewen, is a music critic for the New York Chronicle. Obviously, it's a made up newspaper. He was shocked when his fiancee dumped him without explanation a week before they were due to walk down the aisle. Against his better judgment, 
his boss at the newspaper, Richard Hughes, played by Steve Oram, tasks him with writing a feature piece about Celine Dion. And, well, Dion plays herself, uh, but she plays a sort of comedic version of herself, but a, a very bossy comedic version of herself. And sort of basically she ends up giving this Richard Hughes, sorry, not Richard Hughes, um, the Rob Burns character, the, the the star of the show, Sam Hewen, life and relationship advice. So bear in mind, Rob Burns has been dumped. Uh, he goes to a news conference that Dion is at. Dion doesn't appreciate his, his uh, distractions and attitude and starts giving him life lessons. So Burns and his colleagues have been given work mobile phones. When out of the blue, he starts receiving heartfelt text messages. And unbeknown to him, they are from, and we get round circle here, from Mira Ray, who is texting her dead boyfriend as a matter of catharsis. Of course, Mira has no idea that John's former telephone number has been reassigned, which obviously does happen if, if, if you no longer want a number or you no longer have any need for a number. Burns is deeply moved by the messages that he's receiving, and he sets out to meet the person who sent them. When he does, when he does meet Mira, the, their connection is immediate, but he withholds the backstory, which shatters Mira's trust. So there we have the bare bones of, of the structure. Now, it's a what I'd call a fantasy dramedy again, Peter, uh, where everything is carefully manufactured to get to the outcome that we all know is coming. And that, of course, involves inevitable bumps along the road. Otherwise, you would never move it. And I can say it's, it's naturally the journey that counts, at least from the perspective of the viewer. It's based on a novel. I think it's a German uh, novel, Text for You by Sophie Kramer. Is that correct, Peter? Yes. Yeah. So it's been written and directed by Jim Strauss, who was also responsible for the movie The Incredible Jessica James. There, look, there is some respect and charm about the way that the story plays out. I appreciated the quirkiness of the characterization of the two sisters, as well as the moral compass, I can call it that, I think that drives Mira's actions. Uh, Priyanka Chopra Jonas and Sophia Barclay have quite intoxicating, playful qualities that they bring to the fore. I, I thought they played their roles very, very well. Uh, Rob Burns has been written with this awkward, nice guy image in mind, which, which Sam Hewen capitalises upon. I must admit, I thought, especially scenes with him and early on, there was uh, some of the pauses seemed a bit too long. Uh, I, I just think it needed a bit of tightening. Uh, I, Lydia West, I thought she did a really good job. She plays Burns' dismissive younger workmate, Lisa Scott, and that's quite a nice role as well. So let's get on to Celine Dion. This is her big screen debut. And I said this to you earlier that she has a lot of fun making the most of her diva reputation. She sort of plays that up. And there, there are lots of, there, I think there's about five different songs, new songs from Celine Dion as well. So it's quite a strong score. So it's a film, this is a score overall, not just Dion songs. And it's a film really for romantics who are prepared to invest in make-believe. So you can see why I'm drawing a parallel between this and the movie you spoke about, Book Club, the next chapter. Uh, but this is obviously aimed at a younger audience. And, yeah, I mean, it's it's incredibly manufactured, though, Peter, isn't it? It is. In fact, I, I found this film to be an incredibly cynical uh, exercise, uh, and I'll explain what, what I mean yeah, by I, that. Yeah. 
uh, first of all, it, uh, as you say, it's based on a novel which um, uh, was filmed in Germany uh, in 2016 called SMS für dich or SMS for you by uh, Carolina Herfurt. And that was a, a good, strong drama about loss, about grieving and about finding love again. Uh, it certainly was not a comedy. And in fact, I, I don't even think that uh, love again is a comedy. So first of all, the original German film was far superior because it didn't have that sort of cynical tone uh, of trying to uh, invest some comedy in it. Secondly, that I know the filmmakers were desperately trying to find a, um, a film for Priyanka Chopra because she is a, a very well-known Indian actress mm. and now she's working in Hollywood uh, and they're trying to find a good vehicle for her. Uh, and, of course, I found it very cynical, actually, to cast her husband uh, Nick Jonas uh, as uh, a small uh, role Sorry, in, in the film. That, why did you find that cynical? I, I thought, you know, that, that added a sense of realism, but also, you know, I, I kind of like the fact that uh, th this is a, a guy who oversteps the mark. I, I didn't have a problem with that. What, what, what troubled you? Because I found it a, a nod to show business and uh, as a way of uh, saying, well, here, here is Priyanka with her husband, who is well known in the film industry. Let's uh, put them together and uh, that will give the audience uh, something else to appreciate. I, I found no, no, that I think, very cynical. Funny, I, I'll, I'll take a different approach. I think people who are going to see this movie are going to thoroughly enjoy it. There was, there was a... When, when I'm not sure whether you saw it on uh, the opening media night or not, but there was no. a... A, an appreciable recognition and a sort of a sharp intake of breath kind of thing on that on that uh, occasion, and I I thought that worked very well. So okay, we've got a different view of that, but keep going, please. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And thirdly, the the other cynical part of the film is the use of Celine Dion. I know that uh, they tried to convince her to be in the film for quite a long time, and eventually She's a she lent it. Well, isn't she producing this one too? Is she not? I believe she is. She's involved in it now. Uh, but of course, again, here's the cynical exercise. It's a showcase for her performances, for her concert tour, for her songs. Uh, mm. And that's the main reason she was included. Again, it's for box office potential uh, and to make this film as commercially viable as possible. And yet, when you, when you start to investigate the screenplay, which uh, I compared with the original German, I found it lacking in so much that it, it just seemed so contrived, dramatic rather than amusing, even though it's it's billed as a romantic comedy. I didn't find it a comedy at all. Um, and I, I just found the, the story development was just totally out of bounds with the way the story could have gone uh, in terms of that loss, that but, grief that, yeah, that but, the German uh, original did. Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't see the German original, so I can only judge this based on what I've seen here. I mean, I think it will garner an audience. I'm not sure how large an audience it will garner, and I think there'll be some brickbats as well as some sort of joy out of it. But, I look, I, I didn't think it was – it could have been worse. It's probably – it's a strange way of um, of saying it. There were certainly a lot of cringeworthy moments there, which there were in book club as well. But uh, there was something quite pleasant about it as well, even though – you know, how does one get over grief? And they, they obviously decided to play it the way they did. So the grief was a, a, an important thread that ran through it. But how do you move on from that? That, that was sort of the, the principle that they seemed to follow in this American version of it. I mean, you're, you're, are you, 
based on what you're just saying to me, you're not even going to pass this one if, we, if I you know, ask you to score out of 10 now? No, and I wanted to also mention the dreadful use of supporting characters. Russell Tovey, as uh, Sam Hewen's best, uh, gay best friend, was just treated really dismissively, as was Celia Imrie, such a good actress, uh, given a small but, um, you know, throwaway sort of role. Well, I, it, I, know, I know this sounds... I agree with the, the gay work colleague, and by the way, these are journalists who never work. That's I did notice that as well. But yeah. uh, yes, have it, what 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 uh, role did Celia Imray play? I, I'm afraid I can't even remember. I, I'm trying to remember too because it was so uh, unclear and and so poorly developed. Oh yes, no, 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 I do remember. No, no, I do remember. Uh, she was the publisher. She publisher, was, right? Yes, right. yeah, yeah. Okay, I mean, she had a small. Yeah, she's she's a very fine actor. I agree. She didn't have a lot to do. But okay, so uh, beyond that. Can you see anybody going to see this film and paying for it? Look, I think it will have some commercial success. Uh, again, it's a romantic drama. People will go and see it for the cast. Um, and, uh, yeah, look, I think uh, people will go, but that doesn't mean that it's worthy of uh, getting an audience. <laughs> <laughs> so given, given that, I mean, because I'm going to give this a six, so I'll start there. And, and bear in mind that I go book club five and a half or book club the next chapter. So I'm giving this one a six. I, I, I enjoyed this a little bit more, even though there were elements that didn't kind of congeal. Did you do you agree with me, by the way, that there were sometimes the editing could have been tighter? Uh, possibly. I, I think the writing should have been better. That's where that's where yeah, I'm coming from. Uh, look, I yeah. gave uh, book um, uh, book club five out of ten because at least it was reasonably passable in terms of some of the writing. I can only give um, Love Again four out of ten. Wow. Okay. So there you go, folks. I mean, I think given what we've said, November is definitely the film to see out of those three. Totally different subject matter, of course. But uh, look, let's let's move on to something that I saw, which I, I think you may have seen the movie. This is a now a musical, but it's really, really good. It's called Once, and it's being put on in Melbourne by Darlinghurst Theatre Company, Sydney-based. Uh, and it's on at the Comedy Theatre as we speak. And I thought it was a really brilliant slice of musical theatre, quite a an inspirational piece. It's sort of ear and eye pleasing. It balances heart and humour. Now, do you remember the 2007 movie by John Carney once? Yes, I do. I remember it was a, an encounter between a busker and a, a music a musician and uh, yes. um, and and how they get together and write a, write a song and write uh, and and also have this romantic encounter. It, I thought uh, once was actually a pretty good film. It was a very good film. I, I do remember that, and it's a really really good musical. I mean, superb. It concerns a, a struggling Irish muso who's on the verge of giving up, and an effervescent Czech woman. So. You've got the, the the latter, the Czech woman. They're basically called girl and guy, so that makes it kind of easy. But uh, the girl is played by Stephanie Kakamo. She sees the guy, Toby Francis, with a guitar in his hand, singing what he intends to be his last song. And she praises him for it because he's done a very good job. Now, he works with his father as a vacuum cleaner repairman. He's known as the Hoover guy, right? So and he's, he's taken aback at the boldness that the girl has. Uh, she's got this sort of take, won't take no for an answer attitude. And uh, she, it's, it's a beautiful portrayal, a brilliant portrayal, actually, by Stephanie Kakamo. 
he wrote the song that he was performing for a woman that he loves. And that woman is played by Ruby Clark. But the woman left him six months ago to pursue a life in New York. And now this Czech girl who happens to work in a struggling music shop encourages the guy to press on with his original music. So not to give it up, not to, because he was basically ready to leave the guitar in the bar and just walk away. And over the space of a week, the pair forms a really strong and meaningful relationship. Both are clearly into each other. But the girl who is a fine piano player is dealing with her own issues. So the book's by Ender Walsh, the music and lyrics by Glenn Hansard and Marquita Iglova. And I've got to say that, I don't know whether you know this, Peter, but once holds quite a, well, it, it does a unique place in musical history. And I say that because it's the only Broadway show with music that has won an Oscar, a Grammy, an Olivier Award and a Tony Award. And by the way, it received eight Tonys, including Best Musical and Best Book of a Musical. So that, I mean, what wouldn't that be nice to sort of carry around with you? The only Broadway show that's won all of these grand awards. It, it's set on the streets of Dublin. It is a very tender love story infused with charm and character. Now, it's funny, we've just been talking about comedy and we've been talking about romance. And this story, and you might remember this from the movie, Peter, doesn't follow a conventional path in that regard. You, it's, it's not sort of the, the outcome may not be what you anticipate. Would, That's you true, true. Yeah. Yeah. I do remember there was a twist in the story. Yes. Yeah. And again, so it, it's about the writing and it is beautifully written and directed. It, it's splendid. I, I couldn't be more fulsome in my praise. And it's led from the front by an emotionally mature and musically polished Stephanie Kakamo. The performances are wonderful. They really are. You've got Kakamo with this silky smooth voice. She comes across as, as a really huge natural talent and has an innate ability to deliver, to, to deliver comedic zingers without pretense. And that really is an art form. And Toby Francis, he excels as a man whose head is turned, who's shaken up by the appearance of, of his unexpected saviour, as we can call Kakamo's character. And we watch on with delight as he transitions. This is Toby Francis, his character, complete with an impressive vocal range into one of self-belief. And, and you've also got um, a number of other characters that are worth mentioning. Rupert Reed plays up the protective jocularity associated with the passionate music shop owner, Billy. And of course, that's the music shop where Kakamo's character works. And Anthony Craig, well, he has many moments to savour as a bank manager come musical wannabe who displays a great deal of sensitivity as well as some endeavour. And that, that includes a really scene-stealing few minutes when he breaks into song in front of the guy and girl that have approached him for a loan. And Victoria Falconer, she has her time to shine. She plays a seductress called Reza. She also happens to be a, the musical director of this particular piece. So very, very nice to see the two roles combined. Pavan Kumar Hari plays a heavy metal drummer and a, a bloke addicted to coffee. He, he plays the character Svek, and he does that really well. We, we, um, he, he's, quite, he's quite the character, shall we say. And there is a delightful bearish restraint about Jay Legalia or Legalia as the Hoover guy's father, Da. So that's just some of the characters. Not a weak note in what is a truly stellar showing by a highly talented ensemble 
all of whom play a range of musical instruments and sing. That's what's so special about this. You've got, I think it was 12 people on stage. I, I read in the notes there were 13, but I only counted 12. And having said that, they 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 play the musical instruments magnificently and they're, they're, the chorus numbers are terrific, really, really strong. So they sing beautifully, they play wonderfully. The actors obviously therefore double as the show's band. The set by Hugh O'Connor, and we've got a, a bar, that's that's the essence of it, but also a makeshift, makeshift music shop with a movable piano. And then there's a corner for the guy's threadbare room. I, I like that very much. The lighting by Peter Ruby struck me as moonbeams coming down. I, I thought that was really a standout feature of the piece as well. And so this is a, a conflagra conflagration of the grand, let me call it that, a script that can move mountains, music to stir the soul and, and performances that delight and excel. So having been totally engaged, thoroughly entertained, I, I walked out of the comedy theatre feeling elated. I said to my wife, gee, doesn't this put you in a great mood? I mean, that's what we want out of our films, out of our theatre, out of books we read, exhibitions we see. It's directed by Richard Carroll, musical direction I mentioned already by Victoria Falconer, and it's playing at the Comedy Theatre until the 4th of June. So you've got a little time to see it. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think it reflects extremely well. I like I like pieces, Peter, that it can be formed in, you know, it can be a book, it can be a, a play, it can be a movie, uh, and it works in all formats. I mean, that's uh, that's quite something. It certainly is, and it sounds like it is a really good uh, stage adaptation. So, uh, yeah, uh, I, I certainly like the original film, which did very well. Yeah, it did indeed. Now, uh, talking about original films, I, I wanted to mention, uh, did you see Head On? The it was a Head On should have been called Full On. It was a, a, a movie. I'm just trying to think what year it came out. Um, but oh, I must yeah, be around 2000 or thereabouts, maybe. I, I would have thought so. I mean, this is sort of sex, drugs and rock and roll, but uh, you remember it. You, you, I don't think you could have seen the movie without remembering it. It's, it's sort of seared into the brain uh, at the time. And I, I mean, do you re recollect what your thoughts were when you saw it? I mean, it's not a film for everybody, is it? Well, I, th uh, I thought it was a really brave, in 1998 yep. I just uh, saw that it, was, uh, that it came out, it was very brave a film for Anna Kokonos to deal with uh, a man's wrestling with his, uh, uh, I think it was his Greek heritage played by Alex Greek Dimitriadis. And his sexuality, yeah. And his sexuality, exactly. And and there were some fairly confronting scenes, some very explicit yep. scenes in the film, which uh, I think was uh, R-rated uh, when it was released. And uh, But I thought it was a good, brave film dealing with uh, some complex issues yeah it, it was and look this is a, a, it's an amazing performance because there is one person on stage for 95 minutes Peter that is incredibly hard but the nuance that he puts into the role and the fact that there he uses pauses very very effectively it is really something his name is Danny Ball and he plays this 19-year-old, unemployed, reckless, gay Australian, right? He's, he, they're in Melbourne and they, they travel the, he travels the length and breadth of the city. And, um, I mean, his poison in this case, it's, it's not sex, drugs and rock and roll. It's sex, drugs and uh, grunge and hip-hop. So Ari's drawn to Melbourne's gay clubs, unprotected sex, hard drugs, and tell you what, it's dead set easy to get hold of the stuff, and, and thumping music. And he distances and denounces his parents, 
who are most disappointed in him. So it's 24 hours, Loaded is 24 hours in the life of this young man. And this is playing, by the way, at Malthouse Theatre as we speak. And a lot goes down in that day. Now, the, the novel was published, first published in uh, 1995. And uh, it was by the Australian writer Christos Tsiolkos. And then it was adapted uh, in 98, as you say, to head on. And then it, now it was then reimagined as an audio adaptation in 2020. And the director of Loaded is Stephen Nicolazzo. Um, and, and he joins writers Don Giovannini and Christos Tsiolkos, who also did The Slap, in presenting Ari's anarchic odyssey, right? And and he trawls the length and breadth, as I've mentioned, of, of Melbourne's burbs in, in getting to the end of this 24-hour period. It's gritty, it's raw, it's raunchy, it's full-on, it pulls no punches. There's something even more confronting about it when when you've got a live human being in front of you, Peter, if you can appreciate that, right? I mean, it's strong enough on film, but when you've got somebody in front of you cavorting and carrying on and speaking, there's there's no off valve here, right? He speaks about sex acts in minute detail. And, I mean, this is why I'm saying this has also got an R rating, as it well should. I mean, it's one for mature audiences who can handle frequent course language explicit references to sex sex acts that are some of which are consensual and others that are non-consensual. Uh, again, a mature audience that can handle homophobic, mis misogynistic and culturally derogatory slurs. And there are also multiple drug, drug references. So it, it throws all of this at us. It's a hell of a script that ball channels with visceral distinction, uh, giving it voice and, as I said, nuance. Superb portrayal. Danny Ball, I mean, this is... It is is it, it's raw and raunchy as I've mentioned. Danny Ball is this ball of pent up energy. It, it goes like the clappers for for the hour and a half plus. He doesn't miss a beat. Superb portrayal, and he conjures vivid mind pictures. He he transports us to where Murray goes. The scenes, the smells, the tastes, and it, it's just an amazing production in that regard. Variously dressed and undressed, his journey is certainly not one for the faint-hearted. At times, it's really ugly. It's brutal. And then again, there are moments of ecstasy. And with all of that in mind, the sound, the set, the lighting design, I thought were vital and effective in bolstering just how real the production feels. It comes across as a slice of the seedy side of life. So it's it's not going to suit everybody. It really isn't. Some people are going to find it too much. Uh, I, you know, I think that 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 was always the the film's intention. That was always the intention of the book. Uh, but it has a place. It certainly has a has a place in artistic history now. And here we are looking at it. What sort of 1995, 20, 28 years after after the, the, the novel that, that made such a splash, and it's still making a splash now on the stage. It's on at the Beckett Theatre, Malthouse Theatre, until the 3rd of June 2023. I don't suppose that surprises you that um, that basically you've got the the strength of the, the, the conviction of the original novel and the original film uh, on stage, but you can just imagine, Peter, that uh, its impact is strong. Okay. Yes, it, it sounds like it's very impactful, especially considering there's no other actors, no one else involved, just just the main actor. Right. And that that's really a feat, 
uh, and I've seen quite a number of uh, individual actors doing this in recent years. And uh, boy, it must be incredibly wearing it, doing it night after night as well. It, it must be emotionally draining just to fill a role like that. Uh, before we go on J88 FM, I, I did want to make reference to uh, another production which is only on Infinite finishes today, but if you, uh, it, it finished today actually. But having said that, I, I hope you get the chance to see it. It's it's called The Wrong Horse, and it was playing at the MC Showroom in Paran, and it concerned a couple of bumbling small time crims who luck out in what is it really a farcical comedy, The Wrong Horse, and we're talking about best mates now. They named Noddy and Big Ears, which I thought was a very nice touch. Played by Darren Morton and Dom Phelan, Peter. And uh, Big Ears, by the way, he's got a wind issue. Um, now, uh, he's forever sponging off Noddy, dropping in at his place all hours of the day and night, drinking his booze, eating his food. And these these two have known each other for six years and they, they do jobs together. So I think the suggestion is that they uh, met each other uh, behind prison bars. But anyway... Uh, not he's the supposed brains of the operation, but he has what he terms number dyslexia. Now, that means he gets his digits mixed up, mixed up uh, which I just did with my words. Uh, it's hardly what you want from a gambler, which he is. And you've got a day on the punt bringing with it unexpected surprises. So that's a starting point for it. It's really slapstick humour on steroids. I mean, stupidity abounds. Some of it is improvised in the show, which I really liked. And, and the cast has a wow of a time with the material. I really like some of the performances there. There's a, there's a point about halfway through the first act where it really took off for me. And there's some great performances, including those of the two leads I've mentioned, but also Bridget Darvis, who who plays a several roles, including Mary the Strapper. I'm talking about horse strapper. And um, then she later she plays a bespeckled librarian and does that just both of those roles with absolute distinction. I really enjoyed it. It was It's kind of like a um, the props and staging add to the hilarity, by the way. You, you, you can you imagine a two-person couch doubling as a car, complete with a disconnected furry steering wheel and then handheld swinging synthetic dice. Let your mind go there. Uh, really, really fun. Delightful throwback, good time vibe, called the wrong horse. Look out for it and uh, hopefully it will come back. Peter, thanks very much for your involvement today. My pleasure, and uh, so much to see at the German Film Festival at the moment. And there is indeed, yeah. Please, folks, go out and see Palace Cinemas, who always do these festivals very, very well. We'll do it all again next week. You have been listening to First on Film and Entertainment, Alex First and Peter Krauss, signing off for another week. <laughs>